Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I'm glad you're here with us again this week for another episode. This is episode 30 of the podcast, which is kind of exciting to me. And we've got a great guest today, Dr. Mart McClellan, who is an orthodontist and also a financial advisor. And I think you're going to find this to be a very interesting interview. Uh, in our discussion today, we're going to talk about things like student loans and repayments, uh, about having a financial plan and kind of working that plan, metrics you should be measuring in your finances, and how to prepare perhaps for changes coming uh, in the orthodontic marketplace. So this is going to be an interesting interview. Before we get into the interview, I want to spend a few minutes talking again about some year-end issues here. We talked last time about setting fees and how important that is. And today I want to talk about setting goals for your practice for 2018, and specifically annual goals and monthly goals. And so the first thing, obviously, is we have to decide what we want for an annual goal in terms of our practice production for 2018. And growth in our practice, as we've talked about before, can come from either an increase in our fees or an increase in the number of starts or both. Uh, Perhaps in a younger practice, a reasonable growth target might be 20 or even 40 percent or more. In a more established practice, a realistic goal might be 5 or 10%. Um, so kind of set your annual goal, figure out what it is that you're hoping to do in terms of production for 2018. Now that you've identified that goal, I think the trick is to divide it up into monthly goals that really make sense. You know, one option is to take your annual goal and divide it by 12, which gives you the same goal every month. And I've done that before in the past, but my treatment coordinator and I always felt it was frustrating when we were falling short in a month that we knew was historically slower or when we had fewer patient days scheduled. And it was also a little bit of a hollow victory to beat our goal in August, which is usually the best month for most practices. Another popular alternative is to try to beat the same month or the same quarter from the previous year. And this is better, I think, but still a little too arbitrary for my taste, especially if you've had an unusually bad or good month last year. It also doesn't take into consideration what your schedule is going to be in the upcoming year. So I've developed a system to set monthly goals, which I really love and I'm excited to share with you guys. Initially, it might sound complicated, but it's actually very easy to do once you have the spreadsheet set up. So first thing I do is calculate what percentage each month contributed towards the total production for each of the previous two years. So if January was $100,000 of production and my annual production was a million dollars, then January would account for 10% of the production for that year. I like to use two years because it evens out any weird spikes or dips in production from the previous year. Then I determine how many days were scheduled to work in each month of the upcoming year as a percentage of the total days scheduled. And yes, this does require you to have your 2018 calendar, at least a tentative calendar, uh, scheduled out through the end of the year. So the average of these three percentages for each month, the 2016 production, the 2017 production, and the 2018 planned days... The average of those three gives me the percentage of the annual goal that we should be producing each month. And all that's left is to multiply the percentage by our yearly production goal to get these really awesome monthly goals. I know that sounds like a lot and kind of confusing. I was hesitant to put this even into podcast form. It you know, may be a little bit hard to follow as you're you know, running on your treadmill or driving in your car. But I can say that we used this system for the last year, and it really was amazing. Our goals each month were challenging, but they were doable, and they reflected seasonal trends as well as the amount of days we actually worked that month. The fact that the number changed from month to month seemed to increase the engagement of our team since we had a novel challenge each month. And there was also an increased perception of the validity and importance of each monthly goal, which we specified down to the dollar, as opposed to kind of a bland, rounded figure. If this all seems confusing, fear not. Head to our website at elevateorthopodcast.com slash monthly goals for a Google Docs spreadsheet that will do all the calculations for you. 
Just download a copy so you can edit it and plug in your own numbers. You can play around with it. You can even play with the formulas if you don't like the way that I have it set up. But it's a way to get started to get you some really great goals. I'm also going to post this spreadsheet in our Elevate Orthodontics Facebook group and take any questions you have. I want you to empower yourself and your team with great goals for each month of 2018 and then go out and make it happen. All right, let's get on to the interview. Dr. Mark McClellan brings a unique perspective to the financial advisory profession because he's not only a financial advisor, but also a practicing orthodontist. Dr. McClellan received his dental degree from Northwestern University and did his orthodontic residency at the University of Michigan. Mart is president of Macro Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor, and is registered in multiple states in the area of securities and life and disability insurance. He lives in Lake Forest, Illinois. He has practiced orthodontics for over 20 years and is presently the president of McClellan Orthodontics in Kenilworth, Illinois. Dr. McClellan is board certified in orthodontics by the American Board of Orthodontists and is past president of the Illinois Society of Orthodontists. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. McClellan. Thank you so much, Lance. Appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I'm, I'm excited to have you here and uh, to answer some of our questions about uh, these these financial issues. Absolutely. So you live in Chicago, in the, in the Chicago area, and, and you're working as an orthodontist and a financial advisor. Uh, I'm curious what an average week looks like for you. Yeah, so I, I still practice orthodontics, and I still love it. And I'm in the office probably three to four days a week. And the remaining days I spend in in the advisory side of the things, and my partner, my financial partner, does it full time. So he he does the advisory uh, service for five days a week, and then I sort of split it, maybe sixty percent orthodontics, forty percent uh, financial advice. Great. What do you feel like um, your role is in 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 the financial advising firm versus your partner, and what kind of drew you to to that sort of work? Well, I really never expected to be uh, in this arena of work, but uh, after being exposed to a number of financial advisors when I graduated from my orthodontic program at Michigan, um, things weren't working all that well. And then I was referred to uh, Tim, my partner, uh, one of my dental school classmates. He says, hey, this, this, this junk can really have a significant influence on your financial future. And so I, I sat down and met with him, and uh, he presented this system to uh, use for my family. And it works so well that uh, uh, after seven years of using it just as a, as a client, like most people, I said, hey, we need to get this information to the dental and orthodontic world because uh, we're never trained on this stuff in dental school. And so in 2004, I went out and procured all my financial licenses and uh, registrations. And uh, here we are 12 years later, 13 years later. And uh, I just love doing it because I love sharing information that is really not being told to my uh, friends and colleagues. And so that's, uh, that's what keeps me energized to continue down this path. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your firm and kind of what makes you unique. You kind of mentioned a, a, maybe a proprietary system or, or something that, that you're using to, to think about uh, financial management. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing about pretty much everybody in America today, whether you're an orthodontist or or just a, a, an average citizen, is that um, we all have all these financial products that we buy during the course of our lifetime, but they're never really truly integrated and coordinated in, a, in an efficient manner. We call it the junk drawer, the financial junk drawer. It's like a mm-hmm. kitchen junk drawer. We've got all this stuff in the, in the junk drawer, but it's very inefficient and it's not working uh, uh, all that well together. And so this, this system that was introduced to me was, it was a financial model. And it was a model where you take all these products that everybody has and you put it on the model. It's like a game board. And uh, they, they lay themselves out in such a way that you can see them in all on one page. And it's like a, almost like a perfect orthodontic treatment plan where you start at the top and you go through each and every product and make sure that it's doing what you want. And then you start integrating them all together to make them work much more efficiently because what people don't realize, and this is a, a big uh, misunderstanding in the financial planning business, is that every financial decision you make on anything, whether it's debt management, uh, investments, real estate, your practice, every one decision impacts every other part of your financial life. And so it can really impact your ability to um, 
maximize your, your financial potential when you don't understand how those pieces in, impact each other. So this model that we use enables us to actually measure like a, like a flight simulator, different decisions of, you know, should I do this today or should I do this today? And you can actually measure it. And as a simulator shows on the back end, it'll give you what gives you the most output, best rate of return and most benefits. And so this model was really the, the game changer uh, for my financial life. And it's like, as I mentioned, it's like a game board like Monopoly. And unfortunately, everybody's trying to play the, the game of finance without a game board. And it becomes very, very uh, disorganized and chaotic. And you get 15, 20 years into your career, you look at yourself at 50 years old and you're like, everything's kind of messy and I don't really understand, you know, what's the next step. So the system really brings that all together and cleans it up so that when you make a financial decision, you know, you know it's the right one for the future. Great. Uh, that's that's great introduction here. Um, I've got a number of questions and, and these are ones that I've kind of thought up and I'm sure these are things that you hear from time to time. So we're just going to kind of take this kind of perhaps random collection of things. I'm just going to fire these out and uh, kind of get your thoughts on a number of different issues. Sure. So let's start by talking, I guess, about student loans. I think it seems like a good place uh, to begin. Uh, we've got a lot of doctors coming out with half a million dollars in student loan debt and uh, unsure about how to put that in perspective or to fit that into their kind of financial life. Uh, what would you say on, you know, generally is the correct sequence of decisions for paying that debt off? Yeah, that's, that's a really uh, critical uh, decision. Uh, when I graduated from school, my wife is also a dentist, actually, and we had a ton of student loan debt ourselves uh, quite a bit uh, back in those days, probably equivalent in, these, in today's dollars of about $250,000, $300,000. So I know what a lot of these young, uh, young graduates are experiencing now. It's a little bit worse now. Um, and one of the issues with debt management is that um, the payments are so high on the front end that there's just no way for them to afford it. And so many times they'll find themselves going on to these income-based plans that you may hear about. And some of the, the problem with that is, is in the future is that those loans are growing and expanding each and every day. And so you really need to sort of wrap your head around how are you going to get these to start chipping away at this debt so that it doesn't run away from you? Because as you said, Lance, you know, it's not unusual for people we come across to have five, $600,000 worth of debt. And that debt's not being decreased. It's actually growing through time. So what we, what we tell our folks, at least on the front end, is do everything in your power to uh, extend the loan out as long as you possibly can but at the same time, get that loan so that you're actually chipping away at the principal uh, at the same time. Uh, when you start just paying interest only, um, you can do that for a certain period of time. But you have to understand that that debt's going to come to roost at some point in time. And you need to start really biting as much off as you can. Yeah. My strategy was to to buy a practice and, and grow it so that I could have a substantial income stream to to direct at loan reduction and savings. I kind of felt like I was in debt already, so I doubled down, I guess, so to speak, in order to accelerate that and, and to make that happen. Is that a strategy that, that you see working for people? I love that. I, I really like that strategy a lot. I, I, I'm a strong believer in being a small business owner and controlling your own destiny. And uh, I really think if you, you know, position yourself uh, with uh, good mentors around you, such as this podcast, or other blogs that people listen to that uh, you and I are part of, I really think that can help accelerate your ability to generate more income. Uh, it, it's, 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 a, it's a great problem to have when you have a lot of income. The problem lies when you don't have the income to service some of these debt problems. So uh, as mentioned, if you can stretch that debt out for long, you know, as long as possible, it doesn't mean you may, you'll keep that debt for that long. But if you can build your practice on the front end to generate a lot of income, then you can start managing that debt in a much more uh, efficient manner. Yeah, it just seems so difficult, uh, especially if you're graduating with these huge loan balances, to really be able to service that debt, or, or maybe you can service it, but to 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 knock it down to any substantial degree on an associate income. I mean, I think associates and orthodontists obviously get paid very well, um, but the student loan balances are are so high that uh, that's that's a tall order. It really is. And, and, and one of the benefits, too, of can, and you may have experienced this yourself, is that it's actually a good environment for lending. Uh, there are many lenders out there that are willing to um, lend you money to build a practice and, and uh, 
get something started. So, you know, if the opportunity arises and you're energized to uh, uh, take that task upon yourself, I, I think that that's a great option. When you meet with doctors who aren't making progress as fast as they would like towards their financial goals, Mart, do you, do you find that it, it usually has to do with a, a lack of income or, or, or lack of not realizing the potential income, or is it too much spending? I mean, what, what part of this is, is offense versus defense? Yeah, that's, that's just an awesome question. Um, generally, um, orthodontists and, and doctors and dentists and so forth really don't have that much of an income problem. They make great incomes. I, I tell people all the time, I think we may be in the most blessed profession out there uh, in the health professions. But um, the key is when we make money, we need to make sure that every dollar that comes in our life today, it's a precious dollar. So we really need to make sure that that dollar is doing the right thing at the right time. So people don't really realize that there is a position for those dollars. And, and that's one thing that people have never been exposed to because they don't have a model to actually see where those dollars should be. And so you can actually, one, one of our wealth objectives is, is our second objective is to spend and enjoy your money without the fear of running out. So to the question is, okay, is it an income problem? No. Is it, are people spending too much money? Maybe. But when you're more efficient with your decisions and, and, and find the right place for the dollar, you can still spend money while at the same time uh, retire uh, five to 15 years earlier, because you know the dollars that you're not, that you are saving are going in the right place. And, and that, that's the key. It's, you know, lifestyle is, is one of these things uh, you may have heard maybe through the pipeline. I had open heart surgery when I was 45 years old, and that will, that's, a, that's a game changer. So we're of the belief that you need to enjoy your money when you're young and when you're old, but you need to build strategies in place so that no matter what happens to you financially, you never run out of money. And uh, that's easily done as long as the system is, is in place. Yeah, I think I think the concept of having a system is is the most important thing. And, um, you know, it's something I, I have an interest in. So I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation here. Paint a profile for us uh, of, of a financially successful doctor. So, you know, if, if you think in your mind, you know, we're trying not that every client has to be a cookie cutter, um, you know, doctor, but, but are there common attributes in terms of the style of practice, uh, family decisions, lifestyle, investment philosophies of the doctors you see that are really reaching these financial goals and having this financial freedom? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest pieces of that puzzle is the orthodontist having uh, a team of advisors around them to, to help mentor them uh, to the next level. We've, we've heard it time and time again, successful people surround themselves with other successful people. And there are, there are certain, you know, you folks are come across, they think that, you know, they've got all the answers and they know, they know what they're doing. And I, I can say with confidence that that's costing them hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars because they've just never been to exposed to things that they don't know. And so, um, for, for clients that really get it, um, you have to save money and we've heard it time and time again, but, um, if you don't save money, you always have to work. Um, so saving is freedom. And if you want to be free, you, you need to set some money aside. Uh, the key thing is setting those dollars aside in the right place. And in the traditional world of financial planning, um, people have all this money flowing into their life, but it's going, to, as mentioned before, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and therein lies some of the rub because um, they find themselves frustrated that they're not as far along as they thought they'd be um, because of, you know, how money actually works. And you need to make sure that there's a concept of accumulating your money or accelerating your money. And most orthodontists are in the accumulation world. They'll put a money aside and they'll try to let it accumulate. But that's slow money. You need to look at what we call the acceleration of money or the money velocity of money multiplier where you get multiple uses of the dollar over the course of one's career. And when you do that, uh, instead of three plus three equals six, you'll be three, three, three times three equals nine, and you'll get to the, the end point five to 10 years faster than if you uh, simply accumulate. So what's an example of that? How do we, how do we switch from an accumulation to an acceleration mindset? Yeah, so a, a good example of this, and um, it, it may throw some people off, but uh, let's say you put money into 
an investment account, a mutual fund, or a stock, whatever it may be, or a bond, or anything, whatever, whatever can throw off interest, even a, even a checking account, anything that throws off interest. Well, in the traditional world of finance, what they will tell you is, is that well, you should just reinvest those dividends or reinvest that interest and let that money compound over time. Now, people who do that, they make, they make the financial institutions rich. They make the banks and the insurance companies and the, and the investment companies rich because what, the, what those companies, we call them the rules makers, what they do is they take your money that's just sitting there that's compounding and they use your money time and time again over and over again during the course of a year or a couple of years. While our money just sits there and gets stale and gets eroded through inflation and uh, taxation and such. So an example, what we want to say is, okay, if the financial institutions and the insurance companies are doing all these things with our money, why don't we do what they're doing? You know, why don't we play their game? Because they tell the consumer to do the exact opposite of what they're actually doing. So we say, let's start playing their game. And so instead of letting some of those dollars, the dividends and interest compound within that account, why don't we peel some of those dollars off and move them somewhere else into this model to either decrease your debt load, increase your protection, or make an investment somewhere else? And then, and you just keep doing that over and over, uh, over time. And so instead of like putting $1 in one place and just letting it compound over 30 years, you may get that same dollar back into your life three or four different times. And you'll find that your, your whole financial model will explode because we call it keeping money in motion. Um, anytime you keep money in one place, as, as I talked about, it, it, it gets eroded away and becomes not as uh, valuable through time. So that's, I hope that explained that well, but um, the, the concept of letting money sit in one place and let it compounding is a very inefficient or weak financial strategy, contrary to popular opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of the prevailing wisdom in 2017 is that you should, you know, buy and hold index funds. And John Vogel says, you know, don't do something, just sit there, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's what we hear from a lot of the, the financial media out there. And, and uh, so that does seem to be, you, you seem to have a little bit of a different approach than, than what we're hearing. Yeah, well, on the investment side, when in Vogel's comments about indexing, that that's, that's a phenomenal investment strategy. And we, uh, we don't, we have a little, you may talk about it later in this discussion about investment philosophy, but um, buying and holding is actually an effective strategy for the, for the base investment. But the things that the investment throws off that you get taxed on, like dividends and interest, that's the, that, that's the piece you go after and move elsewhere. You leave the stock, you can leave the stock or the mutual fund in place, and that's totally appropriate, but you don't let it, you don't let the dividends and the interest on top of that compound because you get the taxes uh, really, really uh, impact your, uh, uh, your wealth down the road. I want to circle back around to this, this uh, concept of a client that, that was really doing successful. You know, if, if someone's saying, I, w- I want to put my financial life together, um, you know, are, are you seeing doctors, you know, how much does their family situation affect things? Uh, what about their style of practice? Or, or is it people with big practices and big spending and have big accounts? Are you seeing doctors that have, you know, modest practices, but that are more frugal? And, you know, what are you seeing for, for successful models to financial freedom? We see the whole gamut on that, um, and it really comes down to management of your practice and how much uh, you know, profit that you, you pull out of it. You can be a very relatively small practice and pull out a lot of profit, or you can be a ginormous practice and not have much profit. I would rather have the profit to, uh, to invest in the appropriate places. And so you'd be surprised that some of the bigger practices uh, don't have as much on the back end because there's there's a lot of moving parts in, in the bigger practices and and there's other bigger practices they're just killing it and so the the, the main point to whether you're small or big practice is to understand that a, a a perfect financial plan is like a series of one year perfect plans and so no matter where you are if you're doing it right each and every year and measuring it you're going to be light years ahead of everybody else and, and our ultimate objective at least for the folks we work with is, is that the 
We want, when you get to the retirement age, to have full income replacement. So if an orthodontist has a smaller practice is making two, $300,000 or a ginormous practice making a million dollars or million and a half dollars a year, we want them and their families to have that number in retirement, uh, never to run out and to be inflation protected. That is a perfect financial plan. Now, the ADA reports in their retirement numbers that uh, dentists will retire with about a 50% pay cut. So no matter what you're making, you're going you're to be taking a significantly um, decrease in your, uh, your income. And, and we believe that to be uh, inefficient or weak financial planning. Um, if it's done correctly, you should have full income replacement. So that's sort of a good number for whether you're a large practice or a small practice. When you get to that point in time, you're ready to you know, maybe slow down. You want to make sure your income is you're not taking a pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned, uh, Mark, measuring things. And uh, I'm curious, are, are there metrics that we should be measuring in our personal financial affairs kind of on a, on a monthly or quarterly or yearly basis? How do we know that we're making progress towards our goals? Yeah, the, the starting point is um, is the savings piece, and so uh, we like to say you have to save at least fifteen percent into your financial life each and every year, and it, and it should go up as we get older. Uh, that's the fuel. Uh, if there's no fuel, the engine won't won't drive. So you you have to set aside those the, that amount of money. Uh, Firstly, because the eroding factors of life, inflation and taxation and planned obsolescence and technology, all these things erode that money away. But then the metrics on a, whether it's semi-annual or uh, annual basis are such that uh, those, those numbers obviously should, should always be advancing, but you never, uh, this is another sort of inefficient thing we see a lot in the orthodontic world is people more or less put all their eggs in one basket. Uh, the majority of folks we work with, uh, they're always maxing out their retirement plan, and, and they think that's a great thing. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but the majority of folks we see, um, they're overfunding their retirement plan. Uh, anytime you're putting anything, everything in one bucket, you're, you're setting yourself up for some exposure to loss or problems. And so, if we save save fifteen percent, we'll put fifteen, we'll put five percent in this one part of our model. We'll put five percent. In another part of the model, and at five percent, another part of the model, and, and balance it out, because economies change, and you have to be ready for the change. And um, that's those are sort of the metrics we measure. And as we as we move forward with those metrics, we want to make sure that our our assets uh, that we accumulate, whether it's retirement plans, our practice, or our real estate, or other investments, are equal to what we call actuarial science which are some of the insurance products that also can enhance one's financial life. So there's measurements between those two that makes people uh, really double their income in retirement. And what people don't, where people get caught is that um, they always look at one thing as if it's the right thing. And it's unfortunate. There's no magic product out there. There's no magic retirement plan. There's no magic real estate investment. There's no magic life insurance product. Uh, we see some people out in the, in the, in the world, there's this, there's these concepts called bank on yourself or uh, be your own banker with life insurance. And that can be a big disaster. Um, and um, yeah. So yeah. When you, when we, you mentioned 15% is as a savings rate goal, is that, is that of gross income or gross. after pre, pre-tax income? Pre-tax income. Yep. So if you're, if, if you're making 300,000, we want $45,000 moving into that model in some capacity. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's. I think that savings rate is a huge one. That's definitely something I, I look at, and you know, I'm I'm always looking at at net worth. I always want to know where I am, you know, every six months compared to to where I was. You know, if I've paid off debts or investments have gone up and down, you know, I, I find it hard to get a sense of where my financial life is going without getting a, a pretty good net worth statement on a regular basis. Yeah, the net worth that that's a big one, and you know, a metric for. Some of the listeners to maybe you know wrap their head around in the future is that if you're not planning, one of the big points of financial planning is is that in the traditional world, we essentially have three phases of uh, our financial life. We've got the accumulation phase, the distribution phase, and the conservation phase. And in the traditional world, they look at those phases 
as individual units. So when you're young, you're in the accumulation phase. And when you get to retirement, you're distributing the money. So that's the distribution phase. And then when you pass on, that's the conservation side. Unfortunately, that every financial decision you make affects all those phases at the same time. And so when you make an investment in your retirement plan, that will impact your distribution strategy as well as your conservation strategy. So the metric we like people to at least keep their eye on is that you need to make sure that when you put money into your retirement plan, you need to know how you're going to get it out of the retirement plan. Because as you get to be 50 years old, 55, 60, if you don't plan for the income, as I mentioned, we want full income replacement retirement. If you don't know the income, then what you do is you take all your assets, you take all, and you add them all up. You take your net worth, you add them all up, and you multiply it times 0.03. And whatever that number is, that's going to be your income in retirement. So that will give all the listeners a, a good idea of, you know, are they on track or not? Because uh, that, is, that is the number that uh, is uh, recommended in the traditional financial world. 3% withdrawal rate. 3% withdrawal rate. And on the younger people, it's actually 2.6, but we'll say three is just easier to do the math. So we're saving hopefully 15, at least percent of our uh, income. And you mentioned we want to think about this perhaps in a, in a diversified way. We want to be investing in, in different asset classes or types of investments. There's, there's different buckets that our money can go into. What would be some of the ones that, that we should be looking at? Yeah. So on the investment side, uh, we, we, are, uh, we believe in what we call sort of evidence-based investing. Uh, some listeners may have heard of Nobel Prize winning investing that have, that's been proven at University of Chicago that really the best way to invest is sort of like what John Bogle and all those guys say with Vanguard is that uh, you need to own the whole universe of stocks. Uh, we own, in our portfolios, we have over 20 asset classes, 20,000 different securities. Uh, over 45 different countries around the world. So we own pretty much everything because there's really been nobody that's proven to, to outperform the market. And so we just believe that you should own the entire market. And, um, and then on top of that investment is that, and now that's called sort of traditional indexing, um, but there is some uh, uh, evidence out there, academic research that shows that are cert- there are certain called factors that can increase or enhance your rate of return just a little bit so you can actually get market rate of return. See, an indexing, the problem with indexing is it's, a, it's more effective than active investing, but you'll, you'll never get better than indexing minus the fees you pay. So what we try to do is we tilt our portfolios a little bit towards those areas that have been proven academically to give you a little bit greater rate of return. So we'll tilt our portfolios sort of like in the Warren Buffett way to um, the small cap value. And then there's also two brand new factors that we just brought on board to our portfolios called momentum, which just means nothing more than stocks that are going up continue to go up, and profitability. And that just means companies that are profitable tend to continue to be profitable through time. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll buy the entire universe of stocks, and then we'll tilt them just a little bit towards those factors that are hopefully allowing us to squeeze out some more rate of return to get market rates return. And, uh, yeah. and that's, that, that is an essential piece. And by doing so, you really decrease your volatility. And volatility is what keeps people in their seats so that uh, they're not bouncing around. They're not getting in and out of the market. And anytime you're trying to time the market, uh, the emotions take, take over. And uh, it's been shown that the market has delivered over the last 20 years about 7.7%. And the average investor gets about 4.8%. So they're losing money just because of not sticking in sort of that buy and hold like you were talking about before. Right. What about people who say, look, I, I don't want to put all or, or maybe any, but, but let's say I don't want to put all of my money into, you know, these publicly traded securities. Uh, I don't want to be beholden to, you know, some, some Wall Street entity. I want something I can, you know, put my hands on. I want to be in, in real estate. I want to be in, uh, you know, some you know, other private businesses or, you know, other alternative investments. Uh, does that play a role, do you think, in, in people's uh, investment portfolio? Absolutely. I, we, we love, we love people who love real estate. Uh, and we believe the word diversification is just not about investing in stocks and bonds. Uh, we believe that you should have equal diversification. You should, everybody should have some form of re- real estate portfolio 
whether they own their own practice or the real estate on their practice, their home, uh, maybe some rental property, uh, commercial developments. Um, we love private equity. We love outside investments and businesses. Uh, we believe that plays a part, but we never let people sort of get into those. Well, the real estate is fine, but the private equity stuff is obviously a little more risky. Um, we don't really let people move down in that area until everything else is okay. So if you lose that money, it's not a big deal because we've all been involved with, with deals that have gone south, uh, at least people old like me. And uh, <laughs> so you just have to be careful uh, when you start getting into that space um, because it can be very, very uh, beneficial, but it can also uh, hurt you as well. So we, we need, you need to diversify between all those things. It's just not the stocks and the bonds. Right. We had Dr. Donna Galante on the podcast recently. We talked with her a little bit about how the 2008 financial crisis affected her orthodontic practice. I'm curious from the advisor side, you know, what you saw as people kind of went through that uh, experience, what your clients were communicating to you, you know, what became important, what what lessons you learned and and how you would advise people to prepare for uh, a downturn that's probably coming in a similar fashion in the future. Yeah, there's one thing pretty certain that they always come. They've always, you know, they always appear, whether somebody flies a plane into uh, the World Trade Centers uh, or there's a world meltdown in some capacity, um, markets go up and down. And so you do need to be prepared for that. Uh, and the key to that is, is, is that model I talked about. Um, because when 2008 hit, um, well, it's two things, having the model, then having that investment philosophy I just explained. We didn't have one client call us concerned about um, investments that they were had because they sort of knew what um, what our long-term purpose was for those funds. And um, and so it definitely, the portfolios went down, don't get me wrong, but they didn't, uh, the S&P went down 38%. Uh, our portfolios didn't, didn't go anywhere near that, but they went down. But as long as clients and people understand the big picture and don't get too consumed with um, little small things that, you know, well, let's put it this way. If everything's in a retirement plan and it goes down 50%, that's not small. That's ginormous. But, you know, if you have things balanced out, um, you understand that, that that does recover. And in 2009, that was one of the best years in the market, in the history of the market. So um, if you've got the right investment philosophy, uh, you, can, you can stay in your seat and, um, and ride it out. So in, in, you know, flash forward, you know, a decade, uh, here we are in, in 2017, almost 2018. And, you know, we've got a lot of orthodontists, I think, who look at maybe not the economy as a whole, but perhaps the orthodontic uh, landscape. And they're concerned about changes in the orthodontic uh, profession. We've got new com- competition and entrance from, from different angles. And, uh, you know, people are concerned about the, the future of, of orthodontics and perhaps orthodontic incomes. Uh, how would you think doctors should think about their personal or, or practice finances in light of some of these uh, changes to our specialty? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, it's one of these things that we know changes, changes always going to be coming our way. And uh, there's some big changes uh, coming into the orthodontic space. And I'm of the belief that in order to stay ahead of that curve, you need to make sure that you're running your, 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 uh, your, your practice like a fine-tuned machine and squeezing every last bit of uh, income out of that you can and then making sure that when that income actually comes out, it's doing the right thing. Um, there, there's a big disconnect in, um, in the financial world, in the, in the orthodontic practice as well, is because there's so much focus uh, on orthodontists to build their practice and, and, and build this huge uh, enterprise. But there's very little uh, efforts or time spent on the backside. And um, you know, after having my, my uh, health issue back in my 40s, you know, life, life changes and you want to make sure that, um, when, uh, I don't think anybody ever says they want to be work another day or when they're on their deathbed, they wish they're in their practice an extra day. I think we need to make sure that when we, when we generate these extra dollars that uh, we're putting them in the right place so that, uh, we can spend and enjoy them and, um, and we can get away from having to worry about, uh, the forces that are coming down the pike from an, from the orthodontic, uh, 
you know, the forces that are affecting our practice, whether it's uh, Smile Direct Club or these other other entities that are uh, digging into uh, to what we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, in talking with some of my colleagues, that seems to be, you know, a little bit of the attitude here. You know, we, we've got to be aware, you know, not that we have to be, you know, defeatist. And I think that, that Orthodox has a great future ahead of us. Uh, but at the same time, let's make sure we have our houses in order so that we are set up to kind of weather whatever, you know, storms come our way in, in, in our profession. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in the fact of matters, if you do have a fine-tuned machine, if your practice is running on all cylinders and some of these forces come about, you know, they, they may offer you a, a nice ticket, a nice financial ticket to, uh, you know, give you some more options that you say, hey, maybe I do want to sell my practice and take this big number and, and do something else, well, continue doing orthodontics, but in a different capacity. You, you just never know. You just don't want to be in a position that you're not prepared for it. Right. Right. So, so you're working here a couple days a week as an orthodontist and then also in this uh, financial kind of um, playground, I guess. It, I'm curious yep. what you think are the ways in which orthodontics and uh, finance or investing are similar and in what ways are they totally different? Well, the similarities are such that, you know, we need to whether you're, I always think, you know, the financial industry is also a small business, just like our practice. So those similarities, how we run our financial systems uh, are very similar to how we run our financial or orthodontic systems in my practice. So that, that is, that, that is very, very common. Um, I think some of the, the dissimilarities are such that, uh, in orthodontics, we can all do a lot of different things. And we can all be pretty successful at it. Uh, it's one of these, as mentioned, is kind of a very blessed profession. And people do very well for themselves. And they can do it a whole assortment of different ways. Um, and uh, in the financial world, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, because we, there are so many forces that are impacting, um, uh, I guess, ulterior motives. I, I don't want to say ulterior motives, but the people who are telling us what to do have other things that they want and whether it's financial institutions, the government, you know, they want our money through taxes, uh, financial institutions want our money through fees and, and premiums and corporations want us to buy stuff. So, uh, they, they tell us to do the exact opposite as, as we do. And so we, we, if we want to make it similar, which we should, we should start thinking like they do on the financial side. Yeah. I actually, I like that answer a lot. I think that, and I kind of sprung that one on you there, but I think that, you're right. In orthodontics, we can kind of do clinically almost whatever we want. I mean, Lyle Johnson says, you know, anything works well enough to support an orthodontic practice. And uh, But you're right that in, in our investing in our finances, there probably are some strategies that are going to end catastrophically. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably there's a number of good ones, but there's also some bad ones out there. Yeah, we're just not exposed to it. and We're never really trained on it. So that, that, that therein lies the frustration sometimes when um, people get down like, like, oh, I wish I'd have known that 10 years ago type of thing. Um, but it's not our fault. We just, we just, we just never been told it. Sure. I'm going to throw another curveball question at you here, Mart. Many orthodontists, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have a high income. They can comfortably afford an affluent lifestyle. But I have heard concerns among my peers about how to communicate, you know, values to our children about hard work or, you know, the value of money. There's concerns about, you know, unrealistic lifestyle expectations for our children. Um, what advice would you have for an orthodontist on, on how to deal with these issues? Well, I, I think that's one of the weakest points in, uh, in our society today, in America in general, quite frankly. Uh, the financial literacy of our, of our young folks uh, is, is very inadequate. And, uh, and I think that also goes for the orthodontic world. I tell my children all the time that what we do is not reality. Um, and so you need to understand that there's a very, the majority, we're in top 5% of probably wage earners in America. And, you know, we want our children to be in the same place, but it's not going to be given to them. Uh, they need to understand the, the meaning of hard work. And uh, I'm not from a family of doctors. I'm actually from a family of long-term farmers and such. And so, uh, you need to make sure that you tell these children that a dollar just doesn't appear out of nowhere, that it's actually 
created. And that's another nice financial strategy, actually. I, I love, I bring, I brought my children in my practice to work and I put them on the payroll and I showed them how hard I work every day and, and they work hard every day. And I think that's, that's a very valuable, uh, uh method to, uh, share with your children, show them the, uh, what it is like to work, to work really hard and, and, and earn an income. You know, I think about my kids and, and, and I want them, like you say, to be successful and I, and I suppose to be in, in that top echelon of wage earners. But statistically, I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, they could find fulfillment in, in a career that, that, you know, pays less, but is still, you know, equally valid. And so for me, I, that's just something that's on my mind is, is trying to, uh, not set them up for disappointment, I suppose, uh, or uh, unrealistic expectations. Yeah, that's really smart, and that's that's that, and that's really valuable information for them too. It's my son is in college now, and he's a pilot. He wants to be a pilot, and uh, he's found his passion. And you know, pilots don't make what uh, orthodontists make, but that is one hundred percent okay. They don't need to. Is if you if you find what you enjoy, then uh, then you and you pursue that. You know, life is never work. It's it's what you enjoy, and so and that's and that's where everybody should be. Yeah, yeah. What books, Mark, would you recommend um, to orthodontists who who want to learn more about personal finance or investing? There are there aren't a whole lot to uh, to uh, hang your hat on because a lot of them are very traditional thinking. But I will say the series that. Uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki put together a lot of the rich dad, poor dad concepts. Um, those are some different ways of looking at things, which we like. Even the, um, uh, Tony Robbins just recently wrote a, he wrote a couple books on investing that do have, have a lot of merit. Um, and sort of talk about some of the things I mentioned on this podcast as well. Um, and so, and I've been reading uh, the go giver series. I don't know if you've heard that, but, yep. uh, the go giver series is, is not only powerful from a, a lifestyle standpoint and, a, and an orthodontic practice standpoint, but also a financial standpoint. Uh, one of the coolest things we're doing in our financial firm now is that people aren't even aware of the fact that um, there are actually financial strategies available to everybody where if you give to charity, you'll have more money in your, in your life than if you don't give to charity. And at the same time, you don't disinherit anybody. And so we are very excited about sharing some of those strategies with, with people because that's the triple win. The charities win, the client wins because they have a full income replacement retirement, and then and the family wins because they're not disinherited. And, um, and the go-giver books really sort of expound on that too. So it's, uh, I really enjoyed that, that series as well. Yeah, I did too. We did we did that Christmas gifts for the staff a couple of years ago, that, that book, and that, that's such a great book. So Yeah, it really is. Well, Mark, we're going to jump in here with our lightning round, our Elevate Express 8 questions, and then we'll wrap things up. Perfect. Mark, what's your go-to treatment in your practice for full-step class twos? Uh, full-step class twos, it's one of two things. If they're retronathic manable, I use a Herbst. And if it's uh, good facial form, I'll use a carrier motion appliance. Awesome. What's your standard retention protocol? Standard retention is uh, fixed upper two to two, fixed lower three to three with a, a nighttime uh, poly retainer. Cool. Who are your role models or your mentors? Uh, I was fortunate back when I uh, uh, went into orthodontic residency at Michigan. Jim McNamara recruited me, and so he was my chairman on the front end of my residency. And then a year and a half into my residency, Lyle Johnston was my chairman. And so uh, those, those two gentlemen were very influential on my, uh, my orthodontic career, as well as uh, uh, Dave Carlson. He was, he was a uh, craniofacial biologist and uh, another gentleman named uh, Pete Polverini. But those, those guys were uh, some of the main guys. And then later in my career, actually Dwight Damon, I used the Damon system. And so he's, he's helped me through the self-ligation process. And so he's been, uh, Definitely part of that uh, part of that group. Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? I would have to say the Carrier Motion Appliance. I love that thing. Uh, I love getting in the class one within three to five months. Um, and uh, in the Itero scanner, 
uh, I, that's that's been a game changer for our practice. Um, that's been a not that I use it a lot, but uh, it's been a big difference in uh, sort of the patient experience. Sure, sure. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? There have been a number of them, but every seven years we go to Germany. I was born in Germany. Dad is in the military, and so uh, my mother-in-law was born and raised in Germany, and so we go to this festival every seven years, and you, and you hike in the mountains for three days, and then on the back end of the trip, we, we travel throughout Europe. And so uh, one year we went down to uh, Italy and uh, Slovenia, and that was that was my favorite trip. What bracket system are you currently using? Uh, the Damon system. Okay. And what's one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about in 2018? Uh, I would really like to learn more about sleep apnea. I think there's, um, I think orthodontists are probably the most qualified people to to manage that. And um, that's one area that I've not really looked into. I've learned about it, but I'm not qualified to do it, but I'd like to learn more. Great. Great. Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is is there anything else you want to share with our listeners or any other thoughts that you have um, before we sign off here? No, I just really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to you know, have this forum. Uh, I, I feel blessed to be in this profession. And uh, as mentioned before, I really never mentioned, thought I'd be in the financial services world, but uh, I was fortunate to have a... a person come across my path that changed my life and you know hopefully we'll be able to do the same for the folks we uh, come across in the future great if people want to get a hold of you uh what's the best way to do so best way to contact me is by email uh, my email is uh, mart m-a-r-t uh, at macro hyphen wealth.com that's definitely the best way to contact me well, thank you so much. Um, I, I've certainly learned a lot. I can't wait to, to go back. And I, you know, I always review these episodes and I learn a lot uh, as, as I'm getting ready to release them. But um, I just want to thank you for, for sharing your expertise and, uh, and spending some time with us. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it, Lance. All right. We'll talk again soon. Have a great night, Mart. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.